Amen. But we got gifted and talented people in the house of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. And I thank God for those using their gifts just to worship the Lord and bless the Lord. And we can worship in many ways. It isn't just in song. Our life should be a worship unto the Lord, giving him praise and glory. Amen. Praise God. And we're going to do that here and continue to do that today. Let me just tell you one more time for those who may come in a little bit late. Next Sunday, we'll be having two services to accommodate the, the people that will be coming. We'll be having one at 9 and one at 11. Both of those will be uh, alike in uh, everything that we do. And so uh, choose to part, be a part of one of those services and make sure you bring your family with you. All right? All three of you. I said, make sure you bring your family with you, right? Amen. All right. Because we don't want to go to heaven alone. We want to take somebody with us. Amen. Uh, Today, next week is going to be an awesome day. We are going to hear from people right here in the tabernacle whose lives have literally been changed. People who had no hope. Because Jesus intervened on their situation, they have hope today and living joyful lives. Amen. And we're going to be hearing those testimonies on next week. And I promise you it's going to be life changing. It will impact your life and those that you bring. So don't miss this opportunity to evangelize and and invite. There's power in an invitation. Amen. There's power in an invitation. Had Peter, had Andrew not invited Peter to Christ, there would have never been a Pentecostal message. Amen. 3,000 people would have not got saved on the, after the day of Pentecost had Andrew not invited Peter to come and find the Messiah. And so, you know, we'd never have the miracle of the five loaves and two fishes if it wasn't for Andrew's invitation to tell the little boy with the sack lunch where Jesus was so he could share and bless his what he the little that he had so that many lives could be changed so the invitation is powerful don't don't uh, belittle that don't just say well it isn't nothing because it is so be sure to invite somebody to next Sunday service amen today we are wanting to talk to you about the bridge Not any bridge, but the bridge of hope. Because that's what Jesus became for us. He is our divine intervention. To intervene, what does intervention mean? It means an orchestrated attempt by one or more people, usually by friends and family, to get someone to help with some kind of traumatic event or crisis or some type of serious serious problem. There is a crisis that is going on in America today. It has hit all walks of life. It has come to the rich and to the poor. It is the crisis has caught crossed racial barriers. It is affecting the white, the black, the Hispanic, the Native American. It is the crisis of hopelessness. 
statistics that I read this week while studying, 41% of Americans surveyed said they feel hopeless. 41%. Nearly 50% of America is in the crisis of hopelessness. Amen. Hopeless about their job. Hopeless about their marriage. They're hopeless about their family. And they are feeling hopeless about their future. It has been said that what you do not learn from your mistakes in history will repeat itself. This is not a new crisis that we are dealing with today. We, we have seen crisis before. We have seen in our history hopelessness before. Where it seemed like there was no way out. During the Great Depression, people uh, felt that they were in a time when there was no way that things would ever get better. No way that things would ever change. And so they learned how to cope and deal with whatever it was that whatever they thought, felt like that life had, had brought their way. They learned how to cope with it and deal with it. And, and so they began to write songs about heaven. Amen. Now I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven. But you see, they, when you look at the songs during, that were written during that time, they never said anything about God coming and intervening for me in the here and the now. Their only hope was someday when I die, it's going to get better. Someday when I die, I'm going to heaven. And thank God for that. But I want to tell you today that salvation is not about death. It's about life. Yes, whenever you accept Christ as your Savior, when you die, nobody can do anything about it. You're going to heaven. And thank God for heaven. Amen. But I want to tell you today that it isn't just about heaven that you're in salvation, in death, that your life changes. But you're, when you get salvation, your life changes in life. Hope comes to you. And so those people were so overwhelmed with the situations in their, in their generation that they would, the only hope that they had is someday when I die, things are going to get better. And, and, and that's how they coped with what they were going through. And I, I'm not beating them down, you understand. I'm not pointing my fingers and saying how foolish that is. Thank God for a hope that they could hold on to. But I just come to tell you today that you don't have to wait to go to heaven to get hope. But you can live in the here and the now and have a hope in this today. Amen. When the stock market crashed... Men started jumping out of high-story buildings. Felt as though that they were hopeless. The crisis of hopelessness had hit them. 
that they felt like there was nothing left in their life to live for. They felt as though that there was no reason to go on. They didn't know how to deal with the hopelessness in their life because their God became money. And when their God died, they didn't see any reason to live. Amen. When their resources had dried up, there was nothing left for them to live for. So this isn't the first time that we have seen a crisis in America, but this is our crisis. This is our time when we really are in a serious situation when we have nearly half of America that don't have a hope for tomorrow. A generation for the first time in history that has agreed that they will not be better off than their parents were. You see, we have a crisis on our hands. Not only do we have we had crisis in America, but you can go all the way back to Bible times and you can find crisis situations. You can find hopeless people. And, and we look in John chapter 4 and verse 3. And the Bible talks there about a Samaritan woman. And it says that he had left Judah and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called there, uh, Shakar, near the plight of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, set thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour and a woman of Samaria came and drew water. Jesus said to her, give me drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then a woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, and there, and there then do you... Where do you uh, get this living water? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But he said, if you drink of this water that I am talking about, you will never thirst again. But the water that was, I shall give you will come in him a fountain fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, sir, give me this water. I may, that I may not thirst nor come near to draw. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one that you are, have now is not your husband. And then he said, in that you spoke truth. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. When you read this, it seems that Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. 
He could have gone another route, but he made it clear at the beginning of his journey that I must go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? When you read the scriptures, there is no other thing indicated that he did in Samaria except stop to talk to this woman. He took a detour, if you will. He changed his route so he could become the divine intervention for one woman who was hopeless. For one woman who was the outcast of the city. Because she came at six, uh, the sixth hour, the middle of the day. Everyone knows in history that they came to draw water in the mornings and draw water of the evening. But she had such a reproach upon her life until she would not come with the other women. She would not come at the designated time, if you will, that everyone else came. But she came when she knew no one would be at the well. She came when she knew that there would not be any disturbance or anyone that of her haters that was talking about her would be there. But she came at this lonely time of the day. So in to be sure that she did not have any confrontations with those who, who might want to bring up her past. When you read this story, it seems as though that she was in a hopeless situation. She is looking for something and God, Jesus in the form of God, Jesus would come and he would speak to her and begin to talk to her about water. He referred to himself as the water. And he said that if you, you drink of this water, he said, you're going to thirst again. You see, there's a lot of things that people are partaking of today, trying to feel the thirst. They're trying to feel the thirst with relationships. Relationships are good. We are created for relationships, but relationships will not feel the thirst. Others are trying to feel the thirst with money. Others are trying to feel the thirst with uh, drugs or alcohol or sexual perversion. They're trying to feel the thirst in their life. But when he said, when you partake of these things, he said, you're going to get thirsty again. Have you ever been in your home and, and you would, would looking for something to eat? You was sitting in there watching TV and, and, and you got hungry. And you went in and looked in the refrigerator and, and there wasn't anything in there that really satisfied you. Looked in the cabinets and you got you some things and, and you ate that and, and it didn't satisfy. You went back and looked in the refrigerator again and made you a little something but it didn't satisfy. All right, y'all looking at me weird. But I want to tell you today, you can, you can go through life and you can try all of these things. And sometimes you just can't find that thing that'll fill you up. It, that thing that satisfies the emptiness, the void. And, 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 and every once in a while, we've got to understand it ain't temporal things. That, that emptiness, that void isn't a sandwich. It isn't a new job. It isn't a better car or bigger house. It, it isn't another relationship. Sometimes we, we would go through all of those things only to find we're still thirsty. 
The story of this woman was one of hopelessness. This story tells us that she had no hope. But Jesus didn't just happen to come by the well that day. He purposely went to the well and was waiting on her to show up. (laughs) He was waiting on her to get there. You see, some people think, well, he comes to where you are, but I want to submit to you today. He's waiting on you. He's already ahead of you. He, you, your situation may look hopeless, but he, he's waiting on you to call on him. He's waiting on you to come to that place in your life where that you will turn your heart toward him. Jesus starts referring to himself as the well and says, or the water and says, you know what? If you would drink of this water, you would never thirst again. It would satisfy the thirst. That you're looking for. And so she says, that sounds good. Give me this living water. Give me this water so I won't have to thirst any longer. And then Jesus turns to the heart of the problem. And he says to her, good, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Isn't it just like Jesus to find good in everybody? He said, I know that you tell the truth, right? He said, you tell the truth, woman, because he said, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now isn't your husband. Some would say she's trash. Others would blame her and say, it's your fault. You've been, you've been in five marriages and they've all ended badly. You see, Jesus honed in on where her hurt was. He started speaking to her brokenness. And a lot of people want to put off on other folks. But I want to tell you, that's not the love of Christ. The love of Christ comes to where we are. I don't know why she went through five marriages that ended, but maybe it wasn't her fault at all. Maybe she was just a bad judge of character. (laughs) Maybe her, her life situation made her feel like she was not worthy of a good man. So she would lower her standards to take any man. Preaching better than you're letting on today. Maybe she felt like she was not deserving of somebody who would love her, care for her, and be her protector and her shield, and be the husband that that she really needed in her life. Maybe it wasn't her fault at all, but I don't know. But what I do know is that this really didn't matter to Jesus. What mattered to him was not how she got there, not how, how, how the things transpired in the past. That was not the reason why he came to the well to condemn her. He came because now she's hopeless. And in the middle of her hopelessness, he came hope to change her life. 
He came into the situation. He rearranged his schedule. He took time out to sit there and wait on her to come to the well. Not so he could condemn her. Not so he could say, how come you're where you are? But he came to say, I can help you come up out of where you are and give you hope again. Oh, if he's ever give you hope, would you give him praise today? She had no hope for relationship anymore. She had given up on marriage. How do I know she gave up on marriage? Because she no longer is in the marriage line. She has just decided to live with this man. You get the picture. But this woman meant so much to Jesus that he would take time out, take a detour so that he could divinely intervene for her so she would have hope again in her life. Jesus became the bridge of hope to the Samaritan woman who had no hope. In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we see here that it said that then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief, collect, a chief tax collector and was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he came, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they complained, saying he was going uh, he's gone to be the guest with a man who is a sinner. Isn't that terrible? And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I have given half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I return fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He indicates to us that Zacchaeus is a man of stature. He, he is small in stature, but yet he is a man that is highly known. He has a prominent position. He is also a wealthy man. His problem is not his wealth. His problem is not his position in life. That is just to let us know something. So don't get caught up on riches. 
Don't get caught up on positions because that's not the story. I believe that that we read that and it, it is in there to let us know that you don't have to be down and out to need Jesus. You don't have to be on the bottom to need Jesus. Certainly if you're down and out, you need him. But I want to tell you, you can be a person of prominence. You can be a person that has, has it all going on. You can have, be a person that has plenty of financial means and resources. You can have the best home on the block. You can have everything going for you, but you still need Jesus. Amen. Jesus passed through Jericho and there's this man who is very well known. Many have made Christianity about being poor, about being broke. Everyone needs Jesus. It doesn't matter if you don't have a nickel to your name or you're the most wealthy person on the planet. Amen. You, if you are broke, busted and disgusted, if you don't have Jesus in your heart. You see... Many times we think and we judge peoples by where they are on the economical ladder. But the reality is you can have money in the bank, you can have it all going on and still be hopeless. Zacchaeus was that man. He had it all going on. It suggests, but he was hopeless. How do I know that Zacchaeus was hopeless? Because what would cause a man, this was a dignified man. Are you with me? This is a man that held position and was very wealthy. What would cause a man such as this to run after Jesus? What would cause a man such as this to take his pride and his dignity, throw it out the window and climb up a tree? He was a desperate man. Had everything seemingly going his way that he needed, but yet he was hopeless on the inside. He was so hopeless that he was willing to do whatever it took. To get to where Jesus was. He could not see Jesus. He could not get to where he was because of his stature. That stature speaks to us about limitations. Because of his limitation, he was not able to get to where Jesus was. I don't know what your limitation is, but all of us have limitations. All of us have something that limits us. The thing that, that may be perhaps that thing that keeps you from feeling as though that you can get to where God is, that you can serve him, that you can live for Christ. Maybe, maybe it's an addiction in your life that you cannot kick. Maybe it's a lifestyle that you're in that you cannot seem to overcome. Perhaps it is a past that hounds you, that haunts you. Perhaps it is the things that, that, that of a limitation is fear, that I can't serve God, that I can't do it, that I can't be the best that I need to be. You see, that's where you, you, your mind is messed up there because it isn't through your ability. 
It's not through who you are, but it's because the hope of glory has come to live in your life. He, Christ lives in us and in us he begins to live and we live through him. Zacchaeus did what he could to get to where Jesus was. And Jesus did the rest. Amen. He ran over there and climbed up that tree. Now I know that I look at things differently. I've told you I try to crawl up in the text and think about it from my perspective. But I want to tell you the divine intervention of God. I know I may have shared this with you before, but you understand that 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 tree didn't just happen to be there. God knew aforetime that Jesus would pass by that way. He would know there was a hopeless man that would be looking for Jesus. And he planted a seed at the right time. So that it would not be a twig sticking up out of the ground, but it would be a full grown tree that could carry a full grown man. Amen. And at the right time, that seed was planted in the ground so that at the right time when Zacchaeus could not get to where Jesus was because of his limitation, that he would go and climb up that tree and be able to be seen by Jesus. Amen. Jesus looks up. It wasn't a coincidence that he looked up. Amen. But he looked up at the right time. You think about the crowd that was around him. You think about all that was on his mind. But at the right time, at the right place, he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus hanging in a tree. And he calls for him. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. Make haste. Hurry up. He said, because I must go to your house. Amen. In other words, this is the reason that I come, Zacchaeus. I came to so that I could go to your house. And I'm going to go to your house. And the Bible said he was going to his house to stay. Hallelujah. I want to tell you today that whenever he comes, he comes to stay. He comes for your life to be radically changed because of his nature and his character is love. He, it is hope. It is peace. It is grace and it is mercy. Amen. And when you see him and he comes to your house, your house cannot stay the same. Glory to God. Amen. The people didn't like it. They said, Jesus is going to a sinner's house. You see, any time that you begin to bring life change, any time that you begin to see a shift in people's lives, any time that you share the gospel, it's going to get religious people all messed up. Because they, they want to stay in these confines. They want to stay in these boundaries. But Jesus came and he said, Zacchaeus isn't coming over there to the temple. But he came and climbed up a tree so he could see me. And today I'm going to go to his house. Listen to me. You might be sitting in here today and your house is a mess. You, you say there's no way that Christ could come and live in my house. But I want to tell you it does not matter what your house presently looks like. There is a, you've got to have an understanding that when he shows up, your house is going to change. Amen. He is going to empower. 
empower you. Your, your house, you see, when hopeless people, when people have no hope, they don't care about their house. They let the laundry go undone. They leave yesterday's food on the table. Come on, somebody. It's a mess. They, the, the carpet hasn't been cleaned in months. Amen. Things laying everywhere. It's chaotic and it's messed because they are hopeless. But I want to tell you, whenever Jesus comes, he doesn't look at the mess. He doesn't look at the ruins. He comes and says, I know because you're hopeless, but I've come today to stay at your house. I've come today to make a change in this house. I come today to bring hope to the hopeless situation so that you will not die but you will live glory to God oh come on and give him praise here this morning you see he said he's, they, they, they said well he's going over there to a sinner's house he should be going over here to the temple he should be going over there to Martha and Mary's house he should be going over here and staying with some of the church folk And Jesus reminded him of something. He said, for the son of man has not come but to seek and to save that which is lost. You saved, you don't need me coming to your house. I'm already over there. But this man and his family are hopeless. Got it all going on. The kids getting straight A's. They're going to college and getting it paid for. Got a good job. Tax collectors don't get laid off. You'll get that on the way home. Amen. He had it made. But he did not have hope. But hope came to his house. Some of them didn't like it. But he became Zacchaeus' divine intervention. He didn't just come for Zacchaeus, but he came for his whole family. You, you might be here today, your whole, you, you, your whole family, you, you may not know Christ, as your per- but I want to tell you today, today, your whole family can leave here changed. Today. Amen. Because when men was separated from God. Because of sin, there was no way that man could get to God. And all of creation was hopeless. Without a divine intervention, mankind would, would be hopelessly doomed forever. But Jesus came and became our divine intervention. Amen. Because of sin, there was no way for man to return to God. Amen. The rich man looked up from hell and the Bible said there was a great gulf that was spanning between them. You remember this story? He, he called, he said, could you send Lazarus? 
Antipas put his finger in water and cooled my tongue for I'm tormented in these flames. He said, could you send Abraham and warn my brothers? I've got five, four other brothers. Warn them not to come to this place. Why did he call upon Abraham? Because that's the most prominent or most important person that he knew up to that time. That is the Christ that he knew. But I want to tell you that Jesus came. And when he came, he came and that gulf that was spanded, that gulf that that was separated mankind from God, that that held us hostage. Because you see, when we look at it, we know the story how that mankind gave up the authority that was in the earth, right? Adam goes and Eve goes and they sin and they relinquish that authority in the earth. And because they, they did that, the Bible said you die. Right? You die. But now there is no way, there was no hope. And the devil has this authority. He has mankind in his grasp. If you will, he kidnapped mankind from Father God. And he has a ransom note. And he says, I want your son. No lamb will do. Only your son. I want his life. I want him to die. The scripture tells us had he known, he would have never messed with him. But that day, just like the devil always does, he thought what he was doing was going to destroy mankind forever. Because he sent the first Adam and the first Adam he was able to get up over. He was able to destroy him. He was able to take that authority away from him. But the Bible said this last Adam, he wasn't the second Adam, he was the last Adam. Because there would never be a need for another one. Amen. But he came and when he came, the Bible said that he came in the form of flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father. But he came to be our divine intervention. He came that he would die so that we could live. He came so that we would not be separated from our father any longer, but now we would have access into the very throne room of heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you see, Jesus came and he died. They beat him with uh, with the whips. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They pierced, they took the nails and they nailed him to a cross and they stabbed him with a sword. Amen. And the Bible said he died upon that cross that day. The blood flowed down the cross into the ground that would redeem mankind from their sins. Amen. And they put him in a tomb. Amen. And he stayed there for three days and three nights. But when that, then we look and we see that the earth refused to shine. We receive that the centurion repented. We see that law turned to grace. We see that the veil was torn in the temple so we could enter into the holies of holies. And then Jesus got up out of the tomb, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. 
grave. Amen. And I'm here today to tell you that whenever he got up, the cross became the bridge of hope that would cause mankind to have access back to Father God where we would not have to live a hopeless life any longer, but we could have a life of victory. We could have a life of hope. We can have a life of joy because he is our hope this morning. There are some here today that are part of that 41% of people that are hopeless. You say, Pastor, I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know how it could get any better. I just don't know how I'm going to get out. How the way is going to be made. I just don't know. I don't have all the answers, but I have a answer. And that is Jesus Christ. Say, well, that's way too simple. It'll never work. You see, that's where we've messed up. We, We, he has taken the simplicity of the gospel made it so easy so that you don't have to be educated. You don't have to be intellectual. All you have to be is a human being. And even a little child at some point will understand the love of the father. Turn their heart toward him and their lives will be changed. See, the good news today is if you invite Christ to come in your house, your life is going to be changed and hope will come. You can do that today. Maybe you're here and at some point in your life you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. You've asked Him to come and be your savior, your Lord. You see, you don't have to do anything to go to hell, but you have to do something to go to heaven. You can just live to yourself, live your life, do what you want to do, live hopeless. And then the end, you'll spend eternity separated from God. But Jesus came so you would not have to do that. Not only did he come so you could spend eternity with him, he came so you could enjoy him here in the earth. And I want to talk to somebody today that may have at some point made that commitment to Christ, but the pressures and the things of life have turned your focus and turned your heart away from him. But you're sitting here today saying, you know what? You may be like the woman at the well and feel like that you don't have nothing to live for. Maybe your past is even shameful. But Jesus didn't ask her one question about her past 
The only reason he brought it up is so that she could get forgiveness for it. So that no longer would it control her future. He wanted her to deal with the heart of her problem so she would not live the rest of her life running from one relationship to another, never being fulfilled. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I really don't need God. I've got it going on. I've got my house, I've got my car, I've got my family, I've got my wife, I've got a good job. Yeah, but do you have hope? When you lay down at night and when the lights go off and there's nobody watching, no one to impress, no one's looking, what's going through your mind? What are you thinking? Is there a hope to say, I'm going to get up in the morning and it's going to be a great day? Are you saying there's got to be more to life than this? See, the Holy Spirit is so real here right at this moment. And it's not just here by coincidence or accident, but it's a divine intervention. He wants to move on your behalf today. All you have to do is accept it. It's really that easy. And as you do, your life will be changed. Maybe it's a recommitment to Christ this morning. Would you stand with me for just a moment? I really believe there's some people here right now. You came this morning saying, I'm going to go to that church because I really need my life to change. I need something to happen for me today. I wonder are you, how many of you are here today and you say, you know what, I need hope. I need that hope you speak of today. It doesn't matter to me how you got there. It doesn't matter to me where you're at in, in this this place. You're just in a hopeless place. That isn't, that isn't what we're concerned about. Our concern is bringing hope to where you are. How many in here today, you say, Pastor Brian, that's me. I'm in a hopeless situation and I need his hope in my life today. Let me see your hand. of it's easy. The rest of it's easy. Hope will come to you today. 